This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbruner.com and take your skills to the next level. How would you like to have more joy and ease in your life, all while serving your highest good? That is the guiding philosophy behind my guest's life and work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with me, your host, Liz Bruner. My guest today is an entrepreneur, international speaker, career and business strategist, executive coach, and two-time author who calls her own career path a series of pivots. Jenny Blake, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm thrilled to be here, and I just love the topic of living your best life. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for saying yes. First of all, congratulations. You are celebrating your 10th year as an entrepreneur running your own business. And as someone who runs your own business, my goodness, that's a tremendous feat. (laughs) Well, thank you. I say we all know the statistic when you're starting your own business. You know the one that most Mm -hmm. businesses will fail in their first five years, not to mention 10. So I think it was when I hit my five-year business anniversary, I I looked up and I said, okay, this might work. (laughs) I've turned some corner. I'm not crazy. I didn't know if I could last six months. And it's crazy to say we're here (laughs) 10 years later. Indeed. You have made yet another pivot recently by consciously making a choice to move away from some coaching and speaking to focus only on one thing right now, your new second podcast, Free Time. Share with all of us why this new show of yours is so close to your heart and how you came about making that decision to go all in on it. Yeah, well, f- free time is kind of a play on words. It's really freeing time as a verb so that we can do our best work. And mm-hmm. how do we free ourselves from the crush of the inbound, infinite scroll, social media, inboxes everywhere? I'm really passionate about helping people in order to live their best life, to do their best work. For me, that has always come through very smart systems. (laughs) You know, the more I can apply systems thinking and operating principles with my very tiny team, where no one works full time, including me, then (laughs) the, the less busy work we do and the more we can focus. You mentioned that I stopped coaching and you know, it's always tough to stop a stream of income, especially when it's working. I've shut down my one-on-one coaching and my I had a private community for small business owners for five years called Momentum. But I had this aha moment at Thanksgiving where I wrote down everything I was managing in my business, at least 10 different streams of income. And then I wrote down the new things I wanted to create, a new book and podcast around this idea of free time, specifically for heart-based business owners. And when I looked at this piece of paper, I just said, this is insane. There are people who make a full-time living as a coach or a full-time living running licensing programs or a full-time living as a podcaster. And here I am trying to do more than 10 things at once. And there's no possible way I can do them all well. It's not quite a sabbatical year in that I am working, but in a certain sense, it is a sabbatical from trying to make sure that everything's generating revenue. And instead, just what would happen if I could give my next book and podcast more of my full focus. And so it's an experiment in the making. Oh, wow. What I love about that is you're talking about giving ourselves permission. And I think that's a key word to think and do careers differently. Can you explain to our listeners why you think that's so important, especially today? I love that you pulled out that piece around permission. And 
it's been really fun on the free time show to ask every guest at the end, you know, what do you want to give listeners permission to do mm. or drop? I, I just feel that especially with the events of this last year, I don't know about you, Liz, or anyone listening, but I turned the corner into 2021 just utterly exhausted. Yes. <laughs> and I had things relatively fortunate, but there was still so much chaos and uncertainty. And I feel that we sometimes put pressure on ourselves to do and be everything. For me, I'm a lifelong recovering people pleaser. <laughs> and that it's less about what any of us needs to do and more about permission to drop things or do things yeah. differently. So for example, I don't use social media. And I, I did a podcast episode for the Pivot podcast about how I run my business without social media. And this is shocking to some people. And I hear from a lot of people, it, listen, if you genuinely love social media, that's fantastic. And I and keep going. You do what you love. That's the whole point of your show, Liz. But there are so many people who are relieved. They can't imagine that they could have permission to stop posting and responding to comments. <laughs> and they just cannot imagine a world in which you could have a successful business and not be on social media. But in fact, social media feels like a should. So mm -hmm. I think it's so important to look at areas of our life and work and notice where is there friction where are you doing things just because you should, and it's a good idea, or you, I call it the sailing the sea of shiny shoulds, you know, mm -hmm. even if everyone else is doing it online. And then where do you find flow? Where do you really feel joyful and easeful? And I know for you too, Liz, something like interviewing people and connecting and having deep conversations. For me, that's so much more rewarding than, oh, trying to post about my life every day. I'm just not that type. <laughs> it just doesn't resonate. <laughs> Well, I love that you use the word should because that's something that, that I know I'm thinking about these days is I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And you talked about social media and you've even described yourself as being allergic to social media. And I think, I think that's a very hard concept for people to understand, particularly as entrepreneurs, that maybe, wow, I don't have to do it all. I can give myself permission not to do it all let alone not do it all perfectly. How do you reconcile that? In the early days, I was on Twitter starting in 2008, and I made a lot of friends that way back when it was really exciting. And mm -hmm. we were all connecting with each other through blogs and Twitter and then meeting up in person. And it was just such an exciting time in social media. And then around 2012, I realized I was only posting, I was only broadcasting. I was not able to really keep up and read other people's tweets. Yeah. And I kind of noticed that I became that obnoxious person that's not really <laughs> listening to anyone, just broadcasting about myself and whatever I was creating. So this is when my allergies started to develop. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's so important that we give ourselves permission to recognize when the energy drains from something and to be able to acknowledge it out loud. And sometimes those shoulds are so loud that we don't even admit first and foremost to ourselves oh, mm -hmm. this thing isn't resonating anymore. That's a big piece of this is really noticing, again, that sense of friction or, or this, this thing of feeling allergic to. It may not start out that way, but to stay present and to stay observant. And it's not easy to shut things down or say no, mm -hmm. even when, when you're pivoting into an exciting new direction. It can be really hard. You're often saying mm -hmm. no to something good mm -hmm. in order to say yes to what's next. You are perhaps most well-known, certainly in recent years, for your highly successful book, Pivot, The Only Move That Matters 
is your next one. And that launched back in 2016, but I do think it's just as relevant today. How do you know when you need to make a career pivot, Jenny? Well, Pivot's really a framework for mapping what's next. And the big secret to the book is that that's a continuous process. There's no there there. So we're always pivoting in ways big and small. And the four stages, plant, scan, pilot, launch, you could really apply them even if you're brand new to a role or or starting your own business. You can pivot within your role or business. Or of course, as you mentioned, you can do these bigger changes (laughs) and I describe it as a a pivot point, as a plateau, where you start to feel that work is fine. It's okay. You're Mm -hmm. getting increasingly bored. Maybe you've outgrown your current set of projects or clients or whatever it is that you're working on within your role. And you just start to have that itch that maybe Mm -hmm. it's time for something new. And it can be very intimidating, those bigger pivots. And sometimes, as we see that happen to all of us in 2020, you get pivoted. Yeah, We pivot sometimes by choice, sometimes by circumstance. And I know in 2020, we all really became experts at this, which is reacting and every day was different. And there was no real sense of grounding for much of that last year of not knowing, you know, what was going to happen or when things would open up or how and when we might feel safe. You know, just watching TV shows where people hug is like very racy now. (laughs) This is rated R. It's a show of people shaking hands and sitting and laughing together indoors without their masks on. Jenny, in your own book, you've talked about hitting your own personal point of burnout. How did you recognize it as burnout versus simple overwhelm? Is there a difference in your mind? Yeah, for me, burnout, you know, there was this really helpful article that came out in August of 2020 that talked about surge capacity. And it it said that we've exceeded our surge capacity, and that's why we're all feeling so exhausted. Mm. Burnout is similar to me where the exhaustion starts to feel repetitive. It's not overwhelmed. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed by a big project like working on a new book, but it's complex and it's still engaging. And I'm overwhelmed, but more in a sense of, am I capable of this? And all the imposter Mm. syndrome voices create some overwhelm. (laughs) Or maybe it is a particularly busy week, or I have an important keynote coming up that I get a little overwhelmed or a little nervous. For me, burnout is an experience of total exhaustion. And I just start to not want to do anything at all. And I want to cancel everything on the schedule, or I can't seem to get my natural energy to be able to show up for, for what I have planned, even if in theory, on paper, it's exciting. For me, sometimes burnout happens when maybe family or just living in New York City, we have a dog, you know, maybe there are certain things happening that have nothing to do with work, but that are leading to that sense of just day to day, not quite getting that enough R&R. Particularly for me, the burnout I describe in Pivot really came when I was working full time at Google while managing a side project. And so (laughs) I was working constantly. And I don't think I even knew that I was on the path to burnout. It was just that when it came time to launch my first book, I realized I had nothing left in the tank and Mm -hmm. I could only really promote it for three weeks. And then I kind of just collapsed. I didn't want to do anything at all. Didn't want to get off the couch. Wow. Now I try to be more mindful and I, I consider 20 to 30 hours of working a week plenty. I don't take a lot of breaks. I'm happy to sit down and start work at 10 a.m. and work straight through until 2 or 3 p.m. every day. So I'm not trying to fill time. I'm actually trying to condense 
when I work and how focused I am during that time so that I have time to be present for my family and exercise and rest and read and do the things that I know keep me from burning out. And I love the fact that you willingly admit that you do only work 20 to 25 hours a week and that your team doesn't work 40-hour work weeks either. I'm still working on that. I have to confess. I'm not there yet. I'd like to get there. I want to talk about Google for a moment because you just brought it up and you really gave yourself permission. You've given yourself permission many times, but one of these permission pivot points was that you, for a time, were known as the girl who left Google. Who does that, right? You were Google's career development program manager. You walked away from that job to take a sabbatical so that you could write and launch that first book you mentioned. And it was based on your blog, Life After College. You talked a little bit about why you felt you needed to do that, but what fears did you have to get over in order to give yourself permission to do that? Oh my goodness. And every fear I had in my head, someone close to me in my life expressed to me. So my mom asked, how will you support yourself financially? My dad (laughs) asked, how will you meet people if you're working, if you're isolated and you work by yourself? I even had a mentor who was a coach in her own career. She was running her own business as a coach. And she said, oh my gosh, you're leaving this job. Can I apply for it? Can you get me the job? And that was very nerve wracking because here was someone I looked up to. And I was leaving Google to become my own coach, you know, run my own business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And here she was saying, I want what you have. It kind of was concerning that, in fact, the path I was about to go down, she was saying, well, can I have your job instead? And she was serious, too. So I got kind of worried for my future as as like, a coach. What am I doing? Am I, am I making the right decision? Well, exactly. Right? Maybe it's not working for her and, and she would rather have be where I am. I was just totally afraid. My inner CFO was like ringing all the alarm bells of just how on earth I'm going to survive. And why do I think that I, Jenny, can create some kind of business and career for myself that would be better than what Google could create for me? <laughs> and, and I was also worried a lot of my peers and author friends I think in a very real sense, many people uh, reached out to me because I worked at Google. So I was also Mm -hmm. very afraid. I don't know if you experienced this leaving your job (laughs) in news, Liz, but where you know for sure that there are people you wouldn't otherwise have access to that are saying yes because of where you work, because of the big fancy brand. And so I was also very concerned that if I left this big brand behind, what value would I have to my network and who are you? I, who am I? Who are you? Yeah. yeah. Who am I? Now I'm just just like everyone else. You know, that's kind of a terrible thing to say, but that was the thought in my head that why would anyone say yes to me or want to be my friend? It's really kind of crazy where the mind goes. And you packed up and moved, right? You left Silicon Valley, went to yeah. New York City, you did it all. I realized that, and I say this in the book. If you're high net growth and you really value learning and growing and expanding and taking risks then at some point, we, we don't have FOMO, we have font, fear of not trying. I knew that I would forever regret not at least trying to go all yes. in on my book and my business and give it my best shot. And I also knew I could not do both any longer. I just could not work a full-time job at Google and try to launch these creative projects on the side. I just couldn't do it. And I would rather take a chance on myself and know that I had tried. I, I genuinely thought I'd give it six months and if all my savings ran out, so be it. I'll go get another Mm -hmm. job. That was kind of my worst case scenario. And thankfully, as we said, here we are 10 years later. It's such a brave thing to do. I applaud you for that. 
Besides writing books, you are a certified yoga instructor and certified in Thai massage, which I love. Haven't had one in a long time. We need <laughs> to either, get one. <laughs> you even went to seminary for a time, and I'm going to call you a Renaissance woman. <laughs> when you were growing up, what did you want to be as an adult? Well, funny you mentioned that because when I was very young, under 10 years old, I would put a camera up and record news broadcasts. <laughs> so I actually wrote my news out on a piece of paper and I would record it in front of the camera. I also started a family newspaper when I was 10 years old. It was the Sunday Scoop and then I renamed it the Monthly Dig Up. I did that for 10, the next 10, 11 years, all the way through high school. So I, I was always a journalist. I was always interested in reading and also sharing. I used to make my younger brother play school. So I would teach him what I was learning and create worksheets for him to fill out. And I joke <laughs> now when I'm in front of a room doing an interactive keynote that I'm still playing school with everybody in the audience. I'm still exactly. creating worksheets for them to fill out. My books really stem from going through things that are challenging. And I feel that when I learn something the long, hard way, if I can synthesize what I've learned and then create some simple structures around it and share it back out, my joy is in helping people not make the same mistakes that I did and not take the long way to somehow create an easier, you know, not always easier, but just create a, a smoother path for the next people who will go through whatever that is. And with Pivot, it was that I didn't feel very resilient. So I adopted this mantra, if change is the only constant, let's get better at it and tried to create a framework to help people do that. And then, of course, so could see 2020 coming where we're pivoting every day and being asked no to kidding. navigate change. So mm. it, we really all got a front row seat. You talked a little while ago about writing your next book. What are you writing now, if we may ask? Oh, sure. Well, the next book is related to this free time idea. And I'm excited because for these last 10 years, one of my greatest joys is tinkering in my business behind the scenes and really figuring out how do we streamline our work and how we work to free up our time. So instead of being proud to work more hours, we're proud to work less because of how, how well we're working together as a team and, and how much we can focus on really what matters most. So the book is going to be kind of systems thinking and operating principles to free your mind, time and team for your best work. And right now it's in the very, very embarrassing first draft stage where I just can't even imagine getting it to a point where you can all read it and I won't be horribly embarrassed. So that's the stage we're at now. As someone who's trying to write a book and I'm in kind of, I haven't even gotten to the full first draft. We've got some chapters, but I get it. I totally get it. I was going to ask you, I thought, I have a feeling Liz has a book in her and sooner than later. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. From your lips to God's ears is what I'm going to oh, say. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> Me either for that matter. You know, one of the things that you did differently, and if I'm reading this correctly and some of the information that I looked up on you, you traveled or, or lived abroad every January and February just to prove that you could, in theory, run your business from anywhere. Is that still ongoing despite pandemic? And hopefully you'll get back to it. Did you prove yourself true? <laughs> I, I did. I was so nervous. I thought, if I go across the world for a month or two or three, would I lose all my clients? Would people think that I was just too far away or um, not want to deal with any tech problems? And in fact, I got more clients the, when I did those things. And now it's more common. I mean, technology develops every year. So when I first attempted that, it was in 2013. 
and now, I mean, we're eight years later, we can really run our businesses from our cell phone, not to mention our laptop. Yeah. So it did work. I got more clients than ever. And my clients were even forgiving that sometimes the entire internet on the island of Bali would go out and I would lose a coaching call mid call. That was the worst because someone's telling you what's really on their mind and heart. And then all of a sudden just the line cuts and you can't tell them why. So there were things Mm. that happened like that, but also now globally, things are getting more and more set up for people who can work from anywhere. Because I now have a, I'm married and we have a dog. I don't do the one month. Wouldn't I love to? (laughs) (laughs) I'd really love to go away for a month. (laughs) But uh, I, I feel bad leaving my husband with all the dog responsibilities for longer than a week at a time. So lately what I've been doing are staycations. I live in New York City and I'll book a hotel in the city for three days. I go in with a real intention to do my biggest, best, most strategic, important work. Mostly I'm successful at that. Sometimes I'll go and I just need to rest and do nothing. <laughs> and Ooh. it's, a, it's a, a staycation, just resting. But I've been calling them workcations. And that's my new fun way to sort of play with location and focus and getting out of the house a little bit. And again, giving yourself permission. I love that. (laughs) Jenny, I believe that there are themes and patterns that run through our lives. And when we step back and put ourselves in what I like to call the witness space, we can see those patterns. We can see those themes. We can connect the dots, which can then lead us to living our best life and most authentic life. As you think about your life's themes and patterns, how do you connect the dots? What a powerful question. Oh, I love it. It's what David White, he's a poet. He calls these beautiful questions that you, you live and experience every day. I just love the idea of be, being a witness to our life as well. You know, as I kind of mentioned, I think just a huge theme in my life is being as helpful as possible to as many people as possible. I guess you could say that there is a contrarian streak in there <laughs> where... <laughs> Where I don't know, I I would consider myself a highly sensitive person. There's a whole book on this, HSPs and an empath. Mm -hmm. So in a way, and highly introverted as well. So in a way, I'm just very sensitive. And I think the reason I was so anxious for most of my 20s was I didn't know how to harness that. And I, I just was a sponge for expectations and other people's emotions and who I felt I needed to be because of who society told me I should be. The theme that I keep coming back to now, and this is why free time and working with ease and joy is so important to me, and working for the highest good of all involved. It's just, I can't stand the culture that is burning us out. Just the the pace of work, especially in the US. I'm married to a Lebanese man where work is not the end-all be-all of your entire identity. But here, just the pace is completely unsustainable and it hurts, you know, it hurts me to see how we, how we work ourselves into the ground and don't have time for ourselves or our family or our health. And the to-do list will never end. I don't know if this is so much looking backward or looking forward, but <laughs> it's so important to me to question the way that we do things and give ourselves permission to do mm-hmm. things differently and reinvent a new way forward. And to just really admit that even the way that everyone else is working might not work for us as individuals, or it might not work anymore, or it might not be necessary anymore. You know, my parents' generation, even there's no way they didn't have laptops. They can't work from a laptop, let alone a cell phone. So why should they reinvent the work week? It's Monday through Friday, 
nine to five, and that would be a light (laughs) week. But now we do have options. We do have ways to rethink if we're self-employed, why are we working Monday through Friday? Says who? Says who Mm -hmm. that's the best for our individual lives. So I just think it's so important to question the way that we do things and why and to take intelligent risks. I am not actually this like crazy adventurous risk taking person that doesn't care about leaving a well paying job. You know, that's not me at all. It's actually, it's just how do we take those intelligent risks that allow us to follow our heart and do the work that we and only we can do. I've always called them calculated risks, but I like your intelligent risk taking. I like that (laughs) language even better. Jenny's new podcast, Free Time, as well as her other podcast, Pivot, is on all the major directories, so I encourage you to listen in. You can also learn more about Jenny and her work at pivotmethod.com. That's pivotmethod.com. The new website as well is itsfreetime.com. And there's a couple resources you might find helpful. And Liz, there's an author toolkit on that one for you. Thank <laughs> in case you. It's helpful as you work on your book <laughs> or for anyone else who's an aspiring author. Jenny, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself with us today and helping us learn how to give ourselves permission to think and do things differently so we do live our best life with more joy and more ease. It's been delightful. It's been absolutely delightful on my end too. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm grateful and honored to all of you who tune in to listen to my guest stories. May they inspire you to live your best life, whatever that means for you. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.